0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Mike, let's talk about proof, about evidence. You're a journalist. You know how important that is, especially on something that's as tough for a lot of people to swallow as UFOs, UAPs, consciousness, life after death. You know, you look at cases like Tic Tac, Gimbal, Go Fast. There is evidence if, if people are... Uh, Inclined to look at it. There's uh, the eyewitness testimony, the pilots, there's uh, video, there's sensor data that's pretty compelling. Um, Those are some really well documented cases. If you want to be enough of a debunker or a skeptic uh, to dismiss that, so be it. I mean, there's never going to be enough uh, evidence to convince someone, even of UFOs, let alone something as strange and undocumentable as alien abductions, where people say they're. Taken on board these craft, they have these missing time experiences. Often have very little in the way of physical evidence to go along with it. What do you uh, say to your colleagues, to your family members, or to your editors who say, "What's the proof for all this stuff?"
1: Well, you know, it, it's hard because you know, like you said, as journalists, we always try to get all the, as many facts as we can, right? But with this topic, it really doesn't lend uh, lend it to us that easily. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, you know. You, you referenced the, the Tic Tac and the Nimitz and uh, the the, the Raider data they have the um, the video evidence the, the uh, professional testimonial evidence like that to many is quote unquote proof um, that's enough for the New York Times to stake their reputation to run that it's enough for Washington Post and CNN to kind of follow suit so th- that, there's that's proof in in some sorts but for us as journalists nice. a lot of times it's you know we're telling the story and it's up for the audience to decide, you know, whether they believe it or not. And that's something, you know, I think with a lot of, with our, with our topic, that's the best we can do is try to, you know, find these people and see if they're, if they're credible to begin with, tell their story. And then it's up to the audience to decide. And, uh, that's something I try to do even this day with uh, the website, punkrockandufos.com with the stories I do, you know, I try to, I try to do that as well. And even, even in my book, you know, some of the stuff I put in there, the stuff that, you know, at first I was like, well, you know, some of this is kind of out there and, even know, I've vetted some of these people, uh, but it should be up for the reader to decide. you know, we'll, we'll let them make an informed decision on their own.
0: Yeah. I, I get really uncomfortable when people ask me, well, what do you believe? Uh, do you believe this is true? Do you believe in UFOs? Of course I don't believe in it. It's not my religion. Uh, it's not, uh, it's not a belief. It's a news story for me. You know, I believe there is a good news story there and it's something that, uh, probably involves things that we should all be aware of and think about, but I, it's not a belief system. It's it's uh, you're trying to follow a trail of breadcrumbs to to figure something out, and I'm I'm sure you feel the same way, and probably get asked the same thing all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's like you know, for us, I feel like that trail of, of breadcrumbs just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, just when you think you, you know you know it all, or you're you're zeroing in on it, and it kind of takes another turn. But I think that's part of the journey. You know, is just kind of just learning more and just seeing where it goes because none of us have the answers, and I don't think any of us are gonna. Find the answers overnight, but it's like if you look at you know just through years of UFO research, UFO research how far we've gone and uh, potentially um, where it could go next. I think it's it's a very exciting time as we're in. Uh,
0: you know, it's it's uh, if you have to explain too that the truth is elusive, that proof and evidence is elusive because the phenomena is intelligent. It doesn't necessarily want to serve up uh, understanding on a silver platter. It wants us to work at it. At least that's my sense of it, to try to figure things out. Um, You know, I don't really, there's people that don't want to accept that. They just wave their hand and walk away when you tell them that kind of stuff. But it does, that's the way it works out. I mean, I'm thinking of Skinwalker Ranch, which you cover in your book, uh, Stranger Than Fiction. You get into it, how weird that place is, and how elusive the phenomena uh, can be at
1: times. Yeah, absolutely, and you've experienced it, you know, firsthand with your book, which is one of my favorites uh, that you did with the Hunt the Skinwalker. And one of the uh, scientists I interviewed was Travis Taylor, who was on the show as well. And um, you know, he was the lead scientist on there, and he came in wanting to do real hard science, and so he saw it play out on the show. And I was thoroughly impressed that a lot of it wasn't just for TV. You know, they did do a lot of science on television. Um, but yeah, he came in, you know, in a lot of people didn't know this until I interviewed him, but you know he's a science fiction writer too, so he's already into this stuff. So, but him as a scientist wants to then try to prove it and see what's possible because a lot of like, you know, science fiction is just you know imagining what is possible, and then and sometimes you know that science fiction becomes a reality with you know in the future with technological advances as well. So I think it was fascinating, you know, that he was the only scientist on the case and he came in even with the science fiction background. Um, as well but you know he wanted to come in and do hard science and he was wasn't a for the most part wasn't able to get the results because this phenomenon whatever it was was intelligent would just not allow it to happen
0: yeah i mean it's you know you tell somebody that going into it uh, they they don't want to believe it they, they don't believe it i can tell you from personal experience they they reject that uh, that premise but in fact whatever it is that's there is intelligent and it's elusive and it plays games with you it's a trickster and it uh, it seems to know what people are going to do before people do it it messes with equipment it drains batteries it breaks cameras it it does all kinds of things in a physical realm and then in a non-physical realm and uh, if you're not ready to follow the evidence or lack thereof where it leads um, you're not going to get anywhere. I, I respect Travis uh, Taylor for, admitting that because it's the same thing that happened to Bigelow's team, uh, both the NIDS team and then the OSAP investigators who were part of the the DIA study. They're there for years. They experience these things themselves and they find out that um, this thing is always one step ahead of them. Hard to tell someone that that is true. But in fact, that is uh, what happened. And Travis Taylor not only experienced that for himself but he had physical effects from his his time on the ranch uh, i don't i i did not know he was a sci-fi writer but it occurred to me as i read that in your book that i wonder if that will hurt his credibility in, in the same way it hurt uh, whitley Strieber. he's a novelist he wrote the wolf and he must have made this whole thing up you know what i mean
1: yeah well that's one of the points of my book i really wanted to make clear that there is an intersect in between fiction and nonfiction, right um and a lot of people always look at it from this perspective of, oh, it's you know they're just trying to blur the lines. But the lines have been blurred throughout time. It just, you know, when you put that blurring the lines, it's almost like a negative connotation. But fiction and nonfiction have been intercepting and borrowing with each other forever. Um, and that was one of the goals of the book, is to kind of really uh, pinpoint, you know, certain uh, pop culture pop culture franchises and characters and try to tie it to potentially a real origin or um, a real case. You know, I, I bring up Stranger Things because that's a huge show. Kids love it. So if a kid takes up my book and reads it and says, oh, I love Stranger Things, and they say, oh, wow, Montauk's an actual real place. And, you know, these these studies apparently really existed. So then maybe that kid will want to, you know, explore that on their own then. Uh, or even, you know, I'm a big comic book guy and a lot of um, the, mytholo- the the mythos of comic book characters are all kind of based in this um, this you know, mythology in itself. So to me, it's, you know, I really wanted to, the readers to make those connections too. Like, I didn't list every character or every every story because, you know, predominantly I wanted, you know, some, the reader to kind of make that on their own. Like, this summer, my wife and I, we re- rewatched all the Marvel movies. And when I was re-watching, I was like, oh, man, I totally could have put that in my book. Uh-huh. And at the same time, I was like, you know what? I think that's, that's good that I left out some things, or I forgot to put it in some things, because that's up for the readers then to fill in those blanks.
0: Well, you make comparisons, too, that are you might end up with a flaming cross on your, on your lawn some night, but, I mean, of uh, Superman and superheroes from comic books and biblical figures, the comparisons between them, and then tie it together with UFO uh, lore as well.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the—so um, one of the things I really like to talk about is, you know, the idea of Superman um, as this, you know, this godlike alien being— um, if he came, if he existed, how would he be treated? And I think Zack Snyder did a really good job of portraying that in Batman for Superman and, and potentially in his next Just, Justice League film coming out. The, the Snyder Cut. Um, I mean, it's true though. If Superman existed in a real world, what would he? How would he be viewed? Basically, the same way that Jesus was viewed. They killed him. Um, and I definitely see parallels in in that you know what we see nowadays with how people are treated in general, people who are different as well. And you know, one of the the things that I was able to um, really, explored was this idea um, of tying together, you know, all these commonalities I saw. You know, Superman wears this S on his chest, and it's in an upside-down triangle. And in the comics, that S stands... I mean, in the movies, it stands for hope. But that upside-down triangle is on his chest. And if you know, you know a lot of people who have had UFO abduction experiences have always said that they've seen an alien with a triangle on their chest. Uh, and what does a triangle represent? You know, religion potentially represents this idea of a trinity. You, know, you have man, Holy Spirit, and God. And then in, D- in DC Comics, you have Trinity, which is Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman. So you have Batman, man, you have Superman, um, technically, you know, this, the Holy Spirit, and then Wonder Woman's like a godlike figure. So you see all these, you know, all these commonalities just kind of cross through all different um, elements of pop culture, mythology, and religion, and there's, just, you know, you could draw so many connections.
0: Uh, let's talk about your sighting because we kind of breezed right over that. What did you see? What was the experience? Was it beyond just seeing something in the sky? Uh, anything else?
1: Um, it was the traditional orbs, um, orbs moving in, in a crazy way, and then just you know darting out um, out of sight. Uh, but it's funny because you know, to me, I, I always thought this was such a rare thing until I saw it myself, and even. Um, A couple years ago, I was in Chicago with my wife, uh, and we were on a boat tour, and uh, they said they saw something, and at first I thought they were messing with me, so the first thing I did, you know, I took out my journalist and I started interviewing other people on the boat, and other people (laughs) saw it, too.
0: Oh, you must have been Mr. Popularity on the boat, then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I, I, you know, I, I wrote a story about it, and then next thing you know, a few months later, somebody emailed me saying, hey, I just read your story. I was on a flight um, from Michigan, flying uh, that night, and I saw the same sighting for my airplane. So it, it's crazy how you know how really common these you know these sightings really are, and it's you know you feel special when you see it, but you know so many people uh, have these sightings. Like for me, I'm a teacher, and uh, I did a seminar uh, on UFOs for for my colleagues last year. I had people come forward saying, "Oh, I've I've seen stuff before." I had one of them who actually came by afterwards and said, hey, you know, I've had experiences, like, not just sightings, you know, uh, but she was terrified to tell people. And, you know, if it takes, you know, myself or you know anyone else, you know, speaking about this freely to then uh, empower somebody to kind of come forward with their sightings, I think that's great.
0: Yeah, and the numbers, I mean, it's it's hard to really get a solid estimate on how many people have had these experiences because so many won't say it. Now, you had a colleague come forward and tell you about it. There's probably other colleagues that you had that had experiences that didn't come and tell you about it, but they've shared it with their families. It's same is true in government and in the military, you know, if you have I know you've had conversations with the TTSA guys and they will tell you from their time on the inside, there are people in high levels at the Pentagon in government who've had these experiences who would not dream of ever telling anybody about it or putting it on the record, right?
1: yeah absolutely and that's why I think the ones who are coming out I think that shows their their bravery uh, but not only that I think it's just they understand the importance of it you know these are people willing to risk their careers and uh, to kind of get this out there so I think it's it's fascinating too how you know some of them had NDA, some of them didn't so it's always like maybe somebody's pushing you know for this to get out there um, but you know I think for us who's been studying this stuff for a long time you know we all along we've kind of knew that there's been secret Ufo programs but I think it's it's awesome now that there's been official confirmation, whereas, you know, the the common populace knows now, too. Uh,
0: you had a sighting, and uh, were there any residual effects, uh, anything else that sort of uh, manifested itself in your life? Uh, anything that could or could not be related to that experience?
1: Uh, no, but, you know, it's weird. Like, you know, you read stuff, you read other people's stories. Like, you know, I read all Willie Schreiber's books and how he's able to kind of look back in his past and pinpoint something and think, oh, what was that related? And uh, at this weird moment, I was going through uh, just some old, you know, I used to draw comic books as a kid and I used to write my own, like, books just, you know, playing around. And I found a literary magazine that I was published in. And what I did is I wrote a little comic strip about an alien abduction. And it was weird to me because I was like, I wasn't even into this stuff then. Like, how did I even come up with this? So it's like I'm not saying like oh maybe I've been abducted, but it's like it just, I just thought it was funny that you know at that young age I wrote this little alien abduction story with, from my recall, very limited exposure to the to the topic, maybe outside of like a comic book or, or something.
0: Well, you know, Superman is an alien, right? He is he is an alien, so it uh, it fits. Uh, in in writing about aliens and what we perceive to be aliens, you explore some possible explanations that people maybe haven't thought about them as uh, emissaries or messengers or maybe them as us um, share sort of the the scope of, of what the options are
1: well I think you know we, we always hear that you know they kind of move almost like more mechanical than biological so people think oh well could they be robots could they be us from the future um but then you also hear you know there's various different species and races so it's like well, which ones are closest to us, where do they come from? And one of the things I theorize is, you know, because a lot of people have these experiences, they, they always describe it as angelic, you know, and you hear, you know, before there was, we knew quote-unquote aliens were, you know, you hear Sumerian texts and biblical pastors as well as those beings from the sky coming down and, uh, you know, in in a, in a weird, perverted sense, could they be angels? You know, almost if you think almost the way they watch over us, you would think almost like a guardian angel, um, as well. So it's like you know, there's just so many theories out there, and it's like it's hard to discredit you know uh, any of them because I think they all have some uh, some some weight to argue. You know, it, are are aliens from other planets? Are they biological? Are they are they us? Are they from the future? Are they you know, are, are they our are consciousness? Like, there's just so many various avenues to go down. There's so many rabbit holes to go down, but I, I don't think we should dismiss any of them. I think, you know, look into all of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember about the ranch, you know, the program being killed, the DIA program, the money was pulled because some people at the Pentagon thought. It was satanic. It was evil. There were demons out there. I guess if you can say it might be angels, it could also maybe be demons. And I I would have been inclined to sort of scoff at that, but I I don't know. I have to admit, I really don't know what what's going on out there. What the intelligence is, and neither does anyone else. You know, you had uh, you mentioned in your book that, about these old cave uh, drawings. The oldest cave art, I think, in history, is shows sort of a shapeshifter, uh, monsters that change their shape, right?
1: Yeah, it's almost looks like what we would know in Greek mythology is like a, a Minotaur or, you know, one of those half man, half beast creatures. It's like it it's interesting to me that, you know, that's what they choose to draw. Just like some of the early, you know, Sumerian texts, you know, they were recording history. They they weren't wasting those tablets on, on fiction. So it's like people reporting what they were seeing. So it's always fascinating what what you see on cave drawings. It's and what you see in you know in the Egyptian pyramids, like it's very deliberate
0: this idea of machine intelligence, I had mentioned it uh, in reference to a story that we posted on the coast website about uh, this new paper that some astrophysicists and astrobiologists have speculated what life on other planets could be like, and they they theorize it could be uh, a machine intelligence that biological entities evolve into machines. And um, that sounds hard to believe, except we're doing it right now. We're basically becoming cyborgs. And if or when Ray Kurzweil's prediction about the singularity comes true, um, the idea would be that we can achieve uh, immortality, basically, by uploading our consciousness to a computer. And then whatever physical tasks we need to get done, we can build robots to put our brains into it. And I know it's a it's a trope of sci-fi, but we're not that far off from being able to accomplish some of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And some of the tropes of science fiction in the the 60s and 50s are now reality. You know, like you watch Black Mirror and, you know, they talk about implanting consciousness into, you know, computers. And it's like, are they really that far off, you know, doing a show about that, a fictionalized show? No, they're really not.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.